Weekend News Magazine Viewpoint this Sunday. This is Malcolm Allo here. And a big Happy New Year 2022. We made it, my fellow Americans, and here we are. You know, it's been a long two-year journey to get to where we are at this very moment. Uh, and Americans, uh, quite frankly, have jet lag. Uh, you know, great leaders throughout America have been waiting for Americans to awake from their slumber. The question I ask you is, is this the year in 2022 when liberty and justice are restored to the shining city on a hill? That is the question. So we'll ask ourselves today, what just happened and what lies ahead? And we'll do it with four incredible leaders here. Mark Gregorian, Executive Director for Center for Immigration Studies, will be here. Sidney Powell, uh, attorney and federal prosecutor, will be here as well. Dr. Peter McCullough will join us and talk about the health care. And as well, Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer uh, will be here to address the foreign policy and midterms as we take it all on next on Viewpoint this Sunday. the bias, the lies and deceit, and bring forth real talk from real people about real news, providing the out loud truth and capturing the essence of a new generation all in a fast-paced hour. This is Viewpoint This Sunday. When we talk about the cornerstones of a great republic, uh, well, (laughs) sound immigration policy would be right at the top of that list. Uh, I'm sure you agree with that, my fellow Americans. And uh, we have on here, Mark uh, Gregorian is here. Uh, Mark has served as executive director of the Center for Immigration Studies in Washington, D.C. since 1995. Now, they're an independent, nonpartisan research organization there that examine and critique the impact of immigration uh, on the United States. I'd like to start here, Mark. Uh, Let's go back, uh, take a look first at what just took place here in 2021 before we jump forward. And I'll take it back to the first day of uh, Biden in office, January 20th, uh, 2021, when he issued that directive to stop all deportations for 100 days, uh, which, of course, brought the immigration enforcement activity to a halt. So how do you first sum up our immigration system successes and losses this past year as compared to previous years? Because you've been at this a long time. Yeah, it's uh, mostly losses uh, for 2021. Probably three things I'd point to. One is the border disaster. Everybody's familiar with that. That's been in the news. Biden created that. Trump had not fixed everything, but had stabilized the situation. Biden literally on his first day Uh, It's almost like that game, what are they, 52 pick up or something, where you throw all the cards up in the air and see what happens. Well, it's kind of what they did. They negated everything Trump did and kept their fingers crossed and figured, well, it won't be that bad. Well, it's bad. Uh, The uh, fiscal year 2021 was had the highest number of border arrests ever in history. Um, The current fiscal year, which goes through the end of September, probably is going to be as bad, maybe worse. We don't know yet, but it's not going to be great. So number one is the border. Number two, inside the country, as you mentioned, deportation stopped. Well, we have some statistics now. And for the first five months of the Biden administration, because we haven't gotten, we had to actually 
you know, file a Freedom of Information Act request to even get those numbers. Deportations from inside the country dropped 90% compared to 2019, which was the last year of regular, uh, you know, immigration business because of the, the pandemic in 2020. 90% drop, and even deportations of serious criminals. These aren't all criminals. These aren't people who, you know, had a marijuana joint in their uh, glove compartment. These are serious criminals. Deportations, even of those people, dropped by two thirds. So that's the second thing. And then the third big thing I think that happened, and this is actually less, this is a little bit encouraging, is the administration's legislative agenda. In other words, in Congress to amnesty most of the illegal aliens and to increase legal immigration dramatically without any offsetting enforcement or anything, that legislative agenda completely crashed and burned uh, in a variety of ways, both in that build back better um, legislation, but they also had other bills, all of them, none of them went anywhere. So that is sort of a little bit of good news uh, to go along with all the bad news. All right. So summon this past year up, Mark, now looking at 2021. And I mean, I, the word reckless comes to my mind when we're talking about immigration poly, policies. Uh, what uh, what do you think really and truly in your heart was the goal? I mean, a lot of people question, a lot of Americans are confused with immigration policy, but what does your gut tell you was the real motive of this administration? Real question here as to far as what they were trying to accomplish here. Yeah, that's a good question. And I think a lot of people, uh, Tucker Carlson, for instance, says, wow, they're importing voters and what have you. And I'm not saying he's wrong. Uh, I just don't think that's the main thing. There are two things they were trying to do. And I think reckless describes one of them very well. And that is, first thing is undo everything Trump did. Anything Trump did, they wanted to not do it. Uh, they haven't succeeded in undoing everything, but they've tried. And that was reckless. And they were doing it without any, with, you know, heedless to the consequences. Increasingly, it is now a mainstream view in the Democratic Party. It didn't used to be, but now it is that we have no right to keep anyone out. In other words, that if someone comes up to the border or comes in as a tourist and then doesn't want to leave, they get to stay, period. We have no right. The American people, through their elected representatives, have no right to say no. Now, there'll be a few exceptions. They're not always going to work it that way because of political reality. But that is the animating worldview of the people running immigration in this administration. Maybe not the president, but the president doesn't really have much to do with what's happening in his administration, quite honestly. And I don't even mean that as a joke. I mean, he's just not involved. And so the people he's appointed, that's what matters. And they don't believe that anyone, that we have a right to turn away or deport anyone, period. And that's what you're seeing. That's what you saw last year. And that's what you're going to see uh, the consequences of that in this new year. I want to touch on the real world impact of terrorism. And this part of the conversation is surely no joke. 
And, but I'm curious to get your perspective. Now, I just had a conversation the other day, Mark, with uh, Dr. James Mitchell. Uh, and as you know, he, he interrogated uh, all the uh, senior Al-Qaeda members in 9-11 and all of that, Dr. Mitchell did. Uh, and that show, by the way, friends, is on the network, Terrorism in 2022 with uh, Dr. James Mitchell. You want to hear that. And we talked about a lot of the terrorist activities and the potential for harm coming into the new year of 2022. Now, you have, uh, in fact, an article on your site, which let me give folks now is CIS.org, is full of great information. Anything immigration that is the place to go, cis.org for sure. But you have an article there, uh, Mexico freed a suspected uh, Yemeni uh, terrorist uh, migrant and left Americans to find him. Uh, to talk about, we've seen multiple stories of folks from Yemen, uh, folks from Syria, others, uh, these uh, terrorists. And the real conversation is we don't even know how many are here in our country. Uh, I don't think unless you have some counter number. But, you know, it's not like these people, as I said to Mitchell, Dr. Mitchell, check in at the port to say, hey, we're here. I mean, we've got thousands of miles unprotected. So how big of a scare is terrorism coming into 2022, please? Well, it's a real problem. I mean, nobody before September 11, 2001, thought it was much of a big deal. Uh, and the fact is, we've done a good job over those 20 years at, in you know, uh, disrupting uh, and preventing terrorists from getting into the country. Nothing's perfect, but we actually it did a pretty good job over the past 20 years. The problem is that that <clears throat> structure, that <clears throat> process seems to be breaking down. The example you talked about was this Yemeni terrorist. The guy's on a terrorist watch list. <clears throat> and the Mexicans let him go and said, you know, it's okay, just check in every week or something. I mean, it's ludicrous. So why would he do that? And he didn't. Uh, and we had had, up to this administration, pretty good cooperation where the, when the Mexicans got somebody that might be a problem, they let us know we sent guys to interrogate them. And a lot of times they were just regular schmoes. I mean, there's plenty of people in Yemen who just want to, you know, come here illegally and do landscaping. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's these are places where there's real terrorist problems. Um, and this administration is, like I said before, reckless. They figure, you know, what could go wrong? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the border have a huge surge of people. Wow, they didn't expect that. But, you know, we'll just make other changes and it'll probably be OK. That's the kind of this is the kind of irresponsible approach these guys take. It's not that this administration wants a terrorist attack. Obviously not. They're not monsters. And they know even just politically it'll be a problem for them. But they basically operate on um, they keeping their fingers crossed and figuring it'll all work out. And that's not a way you that's not a sound and responsible way to do security for a country. Everybody knows our borders are wide open. It's not just the southern border, Mark. It's the northern border. In fact, it might even be more so a threat, but nobody talks about that as well. But these cats have entry into our country at any point that they wish because they don't check it at the port. And uh, so I see this as a real problem. Am I overstating this? No, I don't think so. And now, you know, there's not that many terrorists in the flow of illegal aliens. Obviously, 99.9% exactly. .9 of them are just ordinary working stiffs. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, how many does it take to do damage? It only took 19 people uh, to do the 9-11 attacks. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, one of the um, people it was a guy from Saudi Arabia. 
we arrested and the border patrol actually did arrest this guy and they found him he was from saudi arabia crossed the mexican border but he was disguised as an ambulance driver from upstate new york wow. he had like the uniform from this ambulance volunteer ambulance corps like emt thing from upstate new york somewhere well that's not suspicious at all i mean it's <laughs> it's appalling and you know um like it's like we said all along it's reckless of this administration they're not evil they are reckless and irresponsible. So safe to say, Mark, we're going to have to pay a price, I'm gathering, as a country before really we take it serious again, because 9-11 wasn't less than enough, is my guess. You, you agree I'm with that? I'm afraid that's the case. I hope yeah. it's not. I mean, maybe I it too. won't be. Maybe we're going to luck out. We've yeah, always but, been lucky as a country, but, you know, luck only goes so far. And, you know, I'm not, you can't count on luck. And unfortunately, right. this administration seems to think, well, what the heck? It'll be fine. What do you anticipate happening in immigration policy in 2022, if anything? Uh, share that. And, and also, Mark, what factor do you think the uh, will the, all the immigration problems we just talked about, the challenges, have in the midterms? Uh, will voters remember this carnage of 2021, uh, those visuals, uh, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Uh, and in fact, sort of both questions I'd answer together is that one of the things this administration is likely to try to do is do some things to make it look like they're taking the border more seriously, you know, um, specifically with an eye toward the midterms, not because they believe it, but because they're, you know, they're, they're panicked, they're worried. Um, they're going to lose the House anyway, the Democrats are, but, you know, they may not lose the Senate. Uh, and if they keep going the way they are, that's, you know, they are going to lose the Senate. So they're going to try to do some things to tighten up you know, they've restarted this remain in Mexico, but done it in the most minimal, grudging, tiny way that I don't think it's going to make any difference. So what you're going to see in the unfold in the rest of this year is this tension in the administration between the political guys who think, look, we need to take this seriously, if only not to get clobbered in the midterms. But on the other hand, the true believers who are actually running immigration policy, who think it's immoral to deport anybody ever for any reason. And so how that tension is gonna work out would be entertaining to watch if the consequences weren't so dangerous for our country. If it was just a movie, I would get the popcorn and watch it, mm. but it's not a movie. It's not gonna be a movie, it's real life. And um, you know, I'm not uh, uh, encouraged by how that movie is going to turn out. And I think you're going to see they're going to play to the midterms now. And this goes more even beyond immigration, but all policies, actually, which, you know, I kind of I hate to say this, but I almost wish they'd keep being the keystone cops they've been. So the price would be enormous in the election of 2022. I, maybe that's not nice to say. huh? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, who was it? It was Lenin who said the worse, the better. Um, in some sense, in a purely sort of cynical political sense, yeah. that's true. Yeah. But obviously, it's not good for the country. But the fact is, well, it could be in the so long run, time. Mark, it could be in the long run. It could be. Yeah, well, but there's only so much this administration can do. I mean, because they can't really free themselves from their worldview. And on immigration, at least that worldview is driven by an idea that everybody in the world has the right to come here. And so there's only so much kind of corner cutting and backsliding they can do since that's what's working with them. And remember, 
it's not just immigration when voters, uh, you know, we don't do election stuff. We're a think tank, but voters are going to be looking not just at immigration and, you know, all those people under the bridge in Texas and that sort of thing. But, you know, Afghanistan and inflation and COVID and all the rest of it, if everything were going well, but their immigration policy were bad, it might not have that much effect politically. But the immigration disaster simply piles on top of all the other signs of incompetence on this administration so that um, it's clearly, I think it's going to be a real problem for them. And there's just not that much they're going to be able to do to minimize the damage, political damage that's coming up um, for them at the toward the end of this year. What a tremendous thank you to Mark Gregorian. Uh, CIS.org is where you get all the information on immigration. Uh, he and the team there at CIS do remarkable work every day. Uh, thanks, Mark. Thank you. Uh, joining me now, Sydney Powell is here. She's an attorney and a former federal prosecutor. Uh, Sydney was well known for her counsel to uh, General Michael Flynn and her fight for truth in the election 2020. She's author of the bestseller, Licensed to Lie. And uh, so we'll start right there. It's just terrific, Sydney, to have your voice in here as we begin a whole new year of promise, uh, hopefully for the world and for our country. Uh, let's step back a minute and look at what just happened. What is your honest assessment of 2021? And speaking of, well, we always say the good, the bad, and the ugly. What's your honest assessment for this last year? Well, I, th I think it marked the, the greatest fraud in the history of the country in terms of the election. Everybody who was watching TV election night with any objectivity saw the voting stop for hours across multiple states almost simultaneously. And it was those states in which President Trump had a massive lead. And then by the next morning, or in the case of Arizona, it took, I think, a, almost a week uh, for them to uh, create, manufacture, inject, whatever you want to call it, enough uh, votes to change it to uh, supposedly elect Biden. And then we witnessed the debacle of, of January 6th, and it was kind of like one atrocity after the other. Very disappointing from every perspective in terms of what I call the complete institutional failure of every branch of our government to stand up for the rule of law and, and the republic and what the voters actually did. I think anybody looking at it with any measure of objectivity has to recognize that what we saw was absolutely unprecedented. And the math and the data doesn't lie. There was massive election fraud in the 2020 election. The way you frame it there is a very interesting reminder for everybody to hear what you're saying about uh, the 2020 election, because really, um, you're not hearing that anywhere out there right now. It's almost like that moment in time has been pushed under the carpet as the country has pushed forward. So it, it just rings in our ears now to remind us of that the controversy behind the 2020 election. Back in October 21, uh, when you and I last talked here, you, you, you said this, and I quote, all I ever wanted was the truth so we can fix what's wrong. So here's really the profound question I think people would ask. Have we made any progress whatsoever in that truth and fixing what's wrong? 
I think we have made some progress, not necessarily in fixing it, but in certainly in people recognizing it. Pennsylvania, for example, now has some county election people on tape, I believe, saying, admitting that they were destroying evidence. There's evidence that Mike Lindell has uncovered of the destruction of evidence uh, in the voting machines in Colorado. Uh, There was the Arizona audit, which was watered down, but which produced significant results of significant voter fraud, election fraud. And the math itself shows that an algorithm was run. Dr. Frank, you can follow him on, on Rumble and watch his videos to understand how he calculated the algorithm and a, and a key that was created for each state to alter the election results based on injecting false voters into the voter database. And one of the things I found recently with the help of a, a young uh, law student uh, who specializes in, in patents was that the government itself back in 2005, I think it was, got a patent on a process to inject false voters into a voter database and be able to real-time monitor the results of an election and and also created an algorithm to change the results, to predetermine the outcome of an election. That's exactly what they, we experienced here. And this isn't the first year it's happened. It's the first year it, it happened in the worst of all ways. But we have evidence now going back to 2000 with a, a, a Republican witness speaking out in front of the House Judiciary Committee in 2004, talking about how he was hired by somebody in the in the Bush orbit in South Florida to write an algorithm to change the election there. But this is nothing new. They want to act like it's new. They want to act like we can't talk about it now. But yet in April or, or March of 2020, the, the Democrats themselves put out an HBO documentary that people can still watch and should watch today called Kill Chain, the cyber war on American democracy, in which they prove themselves that elections are hacked and can be hacked and express great concern about the 2020 election suffering that fate and about how algorithms can be written to change the vote. They know it. They've done it. It's it's indisputable at this point. Right now, at this moment, uh, Sydney, we're dealing with, now that we're in a whole new year here, and a very important year with the midterms, all right, so, I mean, across the board, there are record low polls for President Joe Biden, which, quite frankly, I don't think we've ever seen polls as low as they are right now. And also the polls of uh, Vice President Kamala Harris are even lower than the president, which is remarkable. And his administration as a whole is struggling, it it very much seems right now for this past year. How does all this really play out into the midterms, which are so crucial now in November 2022? You mentioned there's some good news there with the truth getting out. Americans understand the stakes, I think, at this point. It seems to be people are waking up. How how does this year play out now between now and the midterms, please? Well, until we get paper ballots, real paper ballots in which people just, you know, mark their vote clearly on a paper ballot. And those paper ballots are hand counted 
we cannot rely on the results of any election. Even if we supposedly, quote, win some seats for the Republican Party, what people need to understand is there's only one party. It's those that have been deemed approved or controlled by whoever is behind the scenes pulling the strings. And until we have paper ballots that are hand counted, we the people will not actually be electing whoever gets in there and we can't expect any significant change. Could that happen between now and then? I mean, is, is that even real? It's real if people really get off their sofas and bird dog their county commissioners the, the voting systems are decided county by county. We've got to take this country back precinct by precinct and county by county, or like in Louisiana, parish, you know, whatever the description of the, of the lowest unit of government is that selects the voting equipment. And in most states, it's a county. But yes, I mean, we can demand paper ballots and, and we're just going to have to throw a fit at our county commissioners and speak out at every meeting demanding that they also, that they change it. And to, to be clear, the system of hand-counting ballots, precinct by precinct or county by county, is far less expensive than these massive voting machine contracts that they're going into where they can rig the vote. You remind uh, Americans with your message right there, and, and it's a great reminder for everybody hearing this, is that the power is always with we the people. And that's really what you're saying right there. Sure, if they demand it, you can do just about anything. And, and that is a great uh, point to uh, to spotlight right there. Now, let me ask you this next. As, as an attorney yourself, when you look at America's justice system uh, and how far really it has fallen from grace, this is a big issue here uh, moving forward now that we've seen what's happened with the FBI, CIA, Department of Justice, NSA, right across the board, the, the politicizing and bureaucracy of these agencies. How do we go about fixing any of this, Sydney? That is a tall order because until we can elect people that are, are willing to be public servants and not tools of the global elite, it's going to be extremely difficult to fix it. For one, I would encourage people to serve on juries and when they see a political prosecution like is being experienced by our January 6th prisoners who have been treated worse than terrorists at Guantanamo Bay, I mean, they're just enduring horrible conditions, 23-hour lockdown in abject sewage-infested and bug-infested facilities that we wouldn't put Guantanamo prisoners in. There would be a huge outcry of... of uh, civil rights violations if that happened to Islamic terrorists, but it's fine apparently for Americans who, many of whom were first responders and police officers and military service members that simply wanted their voices heard on January 6th when Congress convened to uh, adopt the uh, vote of the Electoral College. Uh, you know, those are, are largely political prosecutions. I've always said that anybody that destroyed property should be punished for it. But as we have learned more over the last year, much of the January 6th instigators actually worked for the FBI. And that kind of crap needs to stop. And it'll stop by when the public starts letting go, of, you know, acquitting anybody who's prosecuted in a political prosecution. And unfortunately, there are lots of them going on now. 
Perfectly said there. Let's take the last moment or two here and talk about this uh, enormous event that looks, I'm incredibly excited. It's called the Renewal 2022. And it happens, as I understand, on January 8th. And this will mark a, a very historic faith-based, now this is not politics, this is faith-based heritage of uh, the Renewal Restored America's Founding Covenant. Uh, and this is with leaders all over our nation that will gather here at the uh, Strawberry Festival Amphitheater in Plant City, Florida. Uh, and that website I want to give to folks right now is uh, therenewal2022.org is how you get all the information for that. Cindy, tell us about that event, please. Yes, it's a one-day event with music by Guy Penrod and the Isaacs with appearances by uh, Ben Carson, Michelle Bachman, Mike Lindell, me, Kevin Jessup, Kent Christmas, Carter Conlon, uh, Jonathan Kahn, uh, just wonderful spiritual leaders across the country and members of uh, government and just people concerned with our civic life and our republic that want to remember the Mayflower Compact, which 400 years ago was brought. Well, first it went from Israel to England and then from England to the United States on the Mayflower, in which our forefathers decided that this country should be founded under God. And we want to remind everyone of that, the importance of returning to the roots of the foundation of this country, both in terms of the Constitution and that it is to be one nation under God, remind everybody of our, of our spiritual heritage and reignite the role of God in our country and our daily lives and our government. Sydney, your final word as we now come into the uh, the, the new year 2022. I mean, I, I think at the uh, underside of this, you as well as all of our uh, experts here on the platform here, uh, we're optimists. We believe in our country. We believe in America here. Uh, you still have that sense of optimism for our nation? Yes, I do. And the time for us to act is right now. No one can sit on the sidelines any longer. No one who cares about God and Christianity or Judaism or this country and all the principles on which it was founded can sit on the sidelines anymore. Please join me in person at the renewal on January 8th in Plant City, Florida. We need to re-inspire ourselves and, and each other and see how many people are willing to stand up for this country. It's going to be broadcast all across the country on many Christian stations. Um, One American News, I believe, is going to carry it also. And um, Frank TV, Mike Lindell's TV station. We've we've got to get active and take back America. Sydney, God bless you. Thank you for joining us on Viewpoint this Sunday on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Thank you. Thank you. All right. And now, my fellow Americans, we'll take a pause here. But up next, Dr. Peter McCullough will join us and uh, we'll dive into surely a great healthcare system as a founding cornerstone of our great republic. We'll take that up all next as Viewpoint continues. The America Out Loud talk radio app is on Android or Apple. It's the perfect way to listen in to the new generation of talk shows and hosts who are ready to inform and inspire. Because of COVID-19, Many Americans worry about their health four times a day. That's 112 times per month. 
But by simply keeping our immune system strong, we can stay healthy and put our worries at ease. One little known way to do this is by taking AC11, a patented supplement from a plant in the Amazon rainforest. Studied for over 20 years and backed by over 40 scientific peer-reviewed studies, taking AC11 has been proven to extend the life of immune cells called leukocytes, allowing you to boost immunity naturally. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of AC11. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, -L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Liberty and the pursuit of 2022 is upon us. Happy New Year, my fellow Americans. It was Bill Vaughn who reminded us an optimist stays up until midnight to see the new year in. A pessimist stays up to make sure the old year leaves. Here's to all being an optimist. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. When we talk about uh, the cornerstones of a great republic, uh, well, surely a great healthcare system is at the center of that, uh, my fellow Americans, and uh, that's what we'll talk about next here. Uh, so what just happened? What lies ahead here? Uh, joining me on the program here now, and, and, and let me say in an unprecedented year of healthcare is uh, Dr. Peter McCullough. Uh, he's an academic uh, internist, cardiologist and epidemiologist from uh, Dallas, Texas. Uh, Dr. McCullough has uh, been just a terrific voice, an unbelievable uh, uh, spirit across our great country, giving people hope and salvation for something that uh, has been hard to find that hope for sure. Let's start here with looking back at 2021. I seen a report just a couple of weeks ago from McKinsey and Company. And uh, I want to start with what's happened with this pandemic, what's transpired over the past year. Uh, and now we're seeing the, uh, the uh, Omicron uh, variant here. And McKinsey and Company says three main factors determine the real world impact of any new SARS-CoV-2 variant. The extent to which it can evade the immunity developed by those who have been vaccinated or previously infected by other variants. The Delta variant, which remains dominant in a lot of the world, was significantly more transmissible than previously circulating variants were. It showed limited incremental evasion of immunity and caused moderately more severe disease relative to other variants. Now, the Omicron has changed all of that. Tell us what's transpired this past year and where we're at right now. It was a pleasure to be on the other side of the microphone. In 2021, we entered our second year of the SARS-CoV-2 virus, COVID-19 global pandemic. And that second year was basically uh, marked as the year of mass vaccination. Uh, the year prior, we had no vaccines. The vaccines had no 
uh, impact or could not have been uh, uh, basically uh, positioned as having an impact in the first year, but they clearly did in the second year. What did we see? We saw people lining up for these vaccines. People could not wait to get a vaccine in January, February, and March. Uh, we had uh, a basically uh, a relief in America that vaccines were here. But at the same time, we had come off U.S. Senate uh, uh, historic Senate hearings about early treatment. So early treatment started in the United States uh, and really pushed on with uh, the early treatment networks in January, February, March. We actually had a reduction in our cases. Uh, cases at that time were dominated by the alpha variant. And what we learned with mass vaccination is once we got to 25% of the population had received a vaccine, now we actually allowed dominant variants to move forward. Papers by Neeson and Arcevito uh, Venkata Krishnan, they all pointed out that if we mass vaccinated, we would create a narrow, limited immunity in a large number of people, and the virus would mutate and find a way to thrive and spread among the vaccinated. And that's what we had. And so that ushered in the Delta outbreak. And the Delta outbreak spanned uh, from roughly June all the way until <clears throat> November or so. And the Delta outbreak was characterized as the ability to escape the vaccines. And the vaccines had minimal impact on limiting the, the, uh, uh, the disease spread as well as the severity of the Delta outbreak. We started the year uh, with uh, roughly 200,000 Americans that had lost their lives. It was probably between 200 and 300,000 uh, Americans that lost their lives. I told America in November of 2020 that half of those lives could have been saved. By March of 2021, I told Texas under oath that 85% of those lives could have been saved. And now as we sit here today, we have approached 800,000 Americans that have lost their lives due to COVID-19. Despite 200 million Americans having taken the vaccines, the vaccines have not made an impact on lives lost due to COVID-19. No, it's been the opposite effect, it sounds like, with what you're saying. Uh, so the fact of the matter is, that had we done nothing, is it, I mean, is this a wrong statement to say we might have been better off? Only historians will judge a paper by Subramanian and colleagues analyzing all the countries around the world has concluded that the mass vaccination program is backfiring. In fact, it's making it worse, that if we would have done nothing. In fact, one could say, at the end of 2021, if we had done nothing other than just take care of people who became severely sick with COVID-19, that everything would have been better off. I mean, no lockdowns, no masks, no restrictions, no public health interventions whatsoever, just letting the doctors take care of patients who are sick with COVID-19, let the doctors use their own innovation. In fact, just give a few encouraging words to doctors taking care of sick patients. That's all our public health officials would need to have done, I think, to make things much better. Let doctors be doctors. Message I started with from McKinsey and Company, which was just, just a couple of weeks old here. This was entitled, When Will the COVID-19 Pandemic End? And it references the, uh, the Omicron variant and the fact that it's changing the rules back to what you're saying. So let's answer that question now. Now that we're looking here, we're at the beginning of 2022 here. When will the COVID-19 pandemic end, in your opinion? Omicron marks a very important inflection point in the pandemic. <laughs> it's the first time where large numbers of reinfections have occurred. Uh, with the prior variants, natural immunity was robust, complete, and durable. And we didn't see a single bona fide verified case of someone getting sick twice with the prior variants. But in fact, now we're seeing large numbers 
of uh, previously infected COVID recovered individuals contract the Omicron variant. Is there any silver lining? The answer is yes. What we're seeing right now is very mild and transient disease, uh, a brief period of illness for those who've recovered co with COVID-19. It's almost as if they're getting an immune re-challenge with the Omicron variant. The Omicron variant is the most highly mutated of all the forms of the virus. It can't enter the human body nearly as readily as the other variants. It causes little or no pulmonary involvement and patients get over it in a matter of a day or so. Maybe some need some medication if more severe symptoms extend over three to four days and very few individuals require hospitalization or have died due to Omicron. So Omicron also, uh, based on a recent paper by Khan and colleagues out of the African Research Institute, provides immunity against the Delta variant going backwards. Wow. So uh, this is interesting. It replicates 70 times faster than Delta, 70 times faster, but it closes the door on the Delta variant in terms of immunity. So Omicron for sure will become the dominant variant and we'll have to see where this goes from here. If we look ahead at South Africa and Denmark, they're already on the way down. It's a massive peak, but it's very narrow and it's on the way down. We can only hope uh, that there isn't yet another variant that is, is uh, basically waiting to emerge and infect large numbers of people that have taken the vaccine. Well, if that happened, that sounds to me like historically that would be unprecedented, wouldn't it? It would. The, the viruses should should follow what's called Mueller's ratchet. Yep. Mueller's yep. ratchet means you get to an evolutionary bottleneck and then they mutate, become less severe. What's what's interfering with the natural viral evolutionary ecology here is mass vaccination. Yes. Remember, Mother Nature doesn't expect mass vaccination. We are fooling with Mother Nature. Yeah. One of your um, uh, articles recently on the platform was, uh, is Mother Nature's COVID-19 immunity booster. The question is, do, do, do officials, do the, the bureaucrats and government officials pay attention to this, Dr. McCullough? I mean, do they get the message? Do they get the memo? Because the interference that we're speaking about right now of these constant mandated vaccines and pushing people to unprecedented levels it's not only inhumane and creating all levels of suicide and all kinds of problems in our nation, but it's extending this pandemic out to lengths we've never seen before. Do they prolong it further? I'm wondering. We, we, you know, only time will tell. Clearly, uh, it's not just my idea that this could be uh, a natural uh, form of a booster in a sense. Uh, Dr. Marty Macri from Johns Hopkins was on national TV. He used that phrase. Daniel Horowitz of the Blaze Media used that phrase, a natural booster. It raises the issue, who would take a vaccine booster in order to basically prevent getting a natural booster? And so the natural boosters so far, natural immunity has been far better and Omicron immunity almost certainly will be far better than any of the original type of immunity we get with the vaccines. The vaccines still have not been changed to cover any of the uh, emerging variants since the original Wuhan wild type. Okay, stepping back now and looking forward here, uh, how are we prepared, do you think, as a nation uh, to handle, I don't know, maybe the next coronavirus-type pandemic in the future? I mean, it was 100 years this past one, but we really have no way to know whether it's another 100 years or whether it's 10 years. Are we better prepared as a nation? I don't think so. We uh, will probably have to do a lot of lesson learned, a lot of post-mortem evaluation on the pandemic response 
Uh, I think we should have our own separate pandemic response unit. FDA, CDC, and NIH are going to have to remain in their usual roles. They could not step out and actually handle this. Uh, we will need to have a better organization of who in the uh, medical community is going to actually step forward and be a leadership uh, you know, beacon for the rest of the healthcare systems. You know, right now, uh, not a single hospital in the United States claims to be a center of excellence for COVID. Not a single hospital actually uh, seeks any uh, patients referred for COVID. Uh, there's, there's no hospital that has any innovative original protocols for treating COVID. Uh, the healthcare system really has uh, disappointed Americans greatly in this. And uh, so much of it has been driven by what's called regulatory capture, that, uh, that the idea is that money flowed to these institutions, they better follow the FAQs coming down from the CDC and the FDA, uh, none of which uh, encouraged any innovation. They didn't encourage any independent and critical thinking. And they clearly didn't invite any dialogue from experts in the field who were taking care of patients. Well, I would say to you back, it's a combination of regulatory capture for sure and fear that has driven this whole thing. Playing on what you just said, Dr. McCullough, the last thought now on this is, is this, or the big question that I'm, I'm wondering, I, I think, is the healthcare industry is fractured. I mean, again, I've never seen anything like it in my lifetime. Uh, the fractured in, in the medical uh, community is, is unparalleled from anything we've ever seen. How does it heal, do you think, and move forward in 2022? I mean, this is profound. I see healthcare actually almost going into two different tiers, a, a private financial tier where independent doctors uh, will be free of insurance companies, be free of regulatory capture. Patients will gladly pay a, a cash fee to see these doctors and get their independent thinking. And then there will be those who are in uh, the large healthcare systems that are uh, employees that are fully uh, captured, if you will, through CMS and the, and the, um, and the commercial insurers and us developing a two-tier system. Uh, it's clear that, that Americans want critical thinking doctors. It's clear they want compassionate doctors. And it's clear that in the setting of COVID-19, they want early treatment. They wanna avoid the hospitalization and death, and they want a fair evaluation of the efficacy and safety of the vaccines. They haven't gotten any of that uh, in the current healthcare system. Dr. Peter McCullough, thank you always uh, my friend, for all your uh, efforts, which are duly noted here, and uh, you've touched humanity in ways that very few have been able to do. Thank you. Let's be relentless. Well, up next, we'll talk about America's foreign policy and the impact on the midterms in 2022. And we have Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer is here. He's president of the London Center for Policy Research, a CIA-trained intelligence operations officer, 35 years experience in global and national security. And uh, just always terrific uh, to have your voice in the mix here, Tony. Thank you for joining us. Happy New Year, brother. Happy New Year. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, let's start off with this here now. In sure. August uh, 2021, uh, President Biden's speech on Afghanistan, he said the following, our true strategic competitors, uh, China and Russia, would love nothing more than the United States to continue to funnel billions of dollars in resources and attention in destabilizing Afghanistan indefinitely. Now, the president called the withdrawal there an extraordinary success and says uh, war should have ended long ago. Let's start with that quick assessment before we move forward with China and Russia and all of that with Afghanistan and how foreign policy looked this past year, Tony. 
So on Afghanistan, I'm one of those that believes we should have left uh, at the latest, uh, or I think appropriately, right after all the elements of the original authorization of military force, AUMF, to defeat uh, al-Qaeda, which was completed uh, with the assassination of bin Laden uh, 10 years ago. I do agree with Biden on that point. However, he's been one of the guys behind the scenes funding the effort and keeping us there. So he's completely a complete hypocrite on this because he is by his own actions in Neocon who helped maintain us there. So I don't want to get into, you know, this would, we could talk about this all day, but the second factor is how he did, how he pulled us out. He did not go with the original plan that I know Mike Pompeo uh, and, you know, I, I spoke to Mike during the time they were preparing the plan. He and I didn't agree on every point, but, their plan was uh, achievable, would have given us a, a, a withdrawal with some level of ability to continue offensive operations. And, and that's the big thing, is that we should have maintained some ability to collect intelligence and maintain a small contingent of counterterrorism counter forces. Mm -hmm. So when Biden did everything, he did it opposite of what the advice was, opposite of the Trump plan. And the result was, while I agree with him, we, again, should focus on peer competitors like Russia and China. He, he showed massive weakness and incompetence in the process, which really, in the end, simply emboldens our enemy. So it was it was bad all around. Uh, we don't even have to mention the un, unnecessary loss of life of children who we, who Central Command accidentally murdered uh, because of uh, bad intelligence, which they will not own up to, as well as uh, the loss of uh, 13 Marines uh, in, a, in a situation I should never have been in. I should never have given up uh, uh, Bagram. Uh, the choice was to maintain Kabul, and, and therefore that's what I believe directly resulted in the deaths of those Americans because they became targets. So that's yeah. my assessment of that. All right, now moving into 2022, uh, you know, we look at a couple of the hot spots that we're hearing a great deal about, and that is going to be uh, Ukraine and Russia. Uh, right. the Russia invades Ukraine or not, and the same with China and Taiwan. Uh, these are two uh, really big sparks here uh, that could tip the balance of power in the world and could uh, could 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 offset make it a, a rough road here just ahead in twenty twenty two. What do you see really your gut tell you happening over this next year? as Biden is still at the helm in regards to Russia and China and, and what else might transpire here, please. So let's start with Russia. First, uh, I think Putin is, um, has made his decision. He's going to do something. I, I don't think he's going to take all of Ukraine, which is going to further, I think, confuse things because he's just going to take a chunk. It's like, what do you do if it only takes like a piece? He's like uh, pushing the envelope. We know he's going to do this. He's doing it. Uh, the conversation that Joe Biden had with him apparently resulted in nothing. And NATO is completely unfocused. The only country over there that has a, an idea of what to do is Poland. And, and they are a border nation with Ukraine. So bottom line is NATO said, hey, you know, Ukraine is not part of our structure. Therefore, we cannot invoke the Article 5 issue to defend it. Uh, so I think Putin will continue to do what Putin does, which is try to reestablish the old Soviet empire. I, I see that moving forward. Um, Putin is not going to back down. He's a thug. And nothing that Biden has said or nothing Biden can do at this point will do anything to sway him. So I see something happening. Uh, the sweet spot for the Russians to fight is uh, the winter. Uh, the winter's here. I think they're going to be doing something within two to three weeks once everything is hardly frozen. 
And uh, again, I don't think uh, he's going to take everything. He's going to take a big chunk and they're going to do nothing about it. So that's what I see there. Regarding China, China is, um, I think uh, I get this question all the time, is China and Russia coordinating? It's like, no, they're not coordinating, but they are paying attention to what each does for purposes of trying to expand their own interests. And in the case of China, they've stated very clearly they want to have dominance of the Pacific Rim. That's what they're moving towards. Uh, Taiwan is one of those things which uh, is in their way. Uh, they want, this is interesting, this is one of those things I have to remember, like they don't want to destroy Taiwan. The last thing they want to do is destroy an economic power. So what they want to do is gain control of it. So I see them doing much more uh, what they've done in Hong Kong, because Hong Kong, again, is a very strong economic engine. They don't want to destroy the ability of these places to generate income. They just want to have it completely dominated. So you, I don't think you're going to see a full-blown military invasion which destroys infrastructure. I think it's going to be much more subtle uh, and it's going to happen uh, oh, incidental. I think you're going to see much more of this right after the Olympics in Beijing, which by the way, uh, they're being rewarded for bad behavior. Every nation in the world essentially uh, is going to be showing up to uh, show their uh, fealty to the Chinese, to the public People's Republic uh, of China, and uh, they're ignoring the Uyghurs, uh, slave labor, uh, all the other social and uh, genocidal things that they're doing. So it's, it's, uh, it's something that I think people uh, should be paying a lot of attention to, not to mention their, still, their global dominance of, of economics, which I think we, again, need to be divorcing ourselves from for any number of reasons. Yeah, it's safe to say that the the power struggle in the world uh, that it, it really may look a lot different this time next year, Tony. Uh, the situation and where the power is in the world could change uh, fairly dramatically, or not. No, I think Biden is seen as a completely weak, ineffective leader. Everything he does just reinforces that. So. Uh, I think, again, Putin, Putin knows that, you know, he's going to do what he's going to do without any real uh, consequence. I think China sees it the same way. Uh, I think we're going to see Iran. I think we're going to see several other nations which uh, will always try to do more to trouble our, our allies and interests more aggressive. Uh, and and um, it'll be interesting to see when they do it. I think it'll be sometime between the spring and fall. And then I do believe because of his incompetence. I don't think it's going to get any better. I think you're going to see uh, a, a change in our Congress because I don't believe for a minute that the Democrats are going to retain power of evils at the rate we're going right now. Mm. Okay. Well, that brings us to really uh, the, the big point here. Now, let's talk about it, uh, Tony, the midterm elections. Yeah. Uh, 2022, uh, big year, pivotal year. Now, now we're here. Uh, we see what's, uh, you know, the big gem, the, po the power is hanging there in November, which is going to be the House and the Senate. And right. a, lot of the, a lot of the governorships as well and local races are very vitally important uh, to be able to uh, capture that back. Uh, so how do you see this playing out right now uh, as we between now and November? And does America pull the reins back in? Biden foreign policy is, uh, is worse than Obama's. And Congress uh, traditionally does not take a strong foreign policy role. I've been one of those advocating to to conservative leadership that they have to involve themselves much more directly to include, in, uh, and I would say action, the impeachment of Joe Biden or uh, invocation of the 25th Amendment. Uh, Joe Biden is just not there. Everybody sees it. 
And anybody who ignores it is ignoring it in our own national peril. So I'd like to believe that uh, the new Congress will take, do whatever it takes uh, to investigate Afghanistan, uh, Biden's connections with China, Biden's connections with uh, Ukraine. Uh, there's a range of things that need to be strongly and completely investigated, uh, any number of which would result in the removal of Joe Biden from office. Now, I know everybody's going to say, well, there's Kamala Harris and she's just as bad. So be it. Uh, we've got to do what's necessary to preserve the republic and do things legally. Uh, you know, I believe that if, if she becomes the president, she will fail spectacularly as well. And if we control Congress, we can soften the blows of her incompetence. So that's the way I'm seeing it. And, I, you know, look, I'm pretty hardcore on this. I just don't believe we can afford to maintain a Biden White House a moment longer than we have to because of his, you know, incompetence. I think we're going to see a lot of that incompetence on full display over the next couple of months. So as Americans take note of what you're saying right now, and as we get through 2022, up next after that will be uh, the big general election in 2024. Uh, right. We've seen we've seen the power pendulum in our nation swing uh, pretty aggressively over the years, Tony, from left to right. Uh, but I, I get a sense there's a lot of lessons learned. I, I'm believing there is uh, from our nation and our people over these past couple of years have been a real, well, I would say a sucker punch to the gut, potentially, to this nation. Um, sometimes we have to step back before we step forward. Is this an opportunity for America to get it right now? I think the path we're on requires... Uh, I'm just going to say it, a breakdown of everything. Yeah. Uh, they've, the left's been attempting this great reset. Mm-hmm. Build Back Better was part of that. And the idea was to use uh, the environmental crisis, which does not exist. We should have a whole show on that. Uh, the idea that uh, people need help and the government's going to be the one who decides who gets help. All of these uh, very Marxist ideas uh, were being pushed in. And uh, I think if a lot of people saw it, a uh, few folks even on their side saw it. And it's it, it, what we have to do now is understand they're not going to stop. What they've proposed, Build Back Better is still going to move forward. They're just going to be more extreme and more aggressive. And I think it's going to cause a fundamental rift in our country. Uh, we already see it developing. We see the, 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 the red country. You know, I, I live in rural North Carolina. Uh, people don't wear masks. They live their lives, and you have the uh, progressive uh, blue cities where everybody is constantly uh, fear-porned with COVID uh, threat. Two worlds have now kind of uh, come into existence, and I don't believe they can coexist indefinitely. So uh, this is going to be a real issue over this next year is how these two very different segments of this nation have to make it through. And it's, it, it, I just don't see the left backing off. I think they don't understand how much they depend on, you know, the rest of the nation uh, to su- supply their large cities with resources and what would happen if they so cho- chose to break away. It, it's going to be, it can be a very interesting and very brutal year. Interesting. A terrific analysis. Uh, thank you, Tony. Sure. Thank you. Well, there you have it, my my fellow Americans, uh, four outstanding leaders in their respective fields, uh, Gregorian, 
Powell, McCullough, and Schaefer just there. Uh, that's a wrap from our corner of the world. Now, here's the thing. Let us work together to secure America's future. And may 2022 be the year America gets it right. Be blessed, my fellow Americans. We'll see you back at AmericaOutloud.com. It's time to get involved and get loud.